0: We as humans are coded in a way to put emphasis on things because of our past. And if we can overwrite that coding to say, if I look like an idiot right now, I know that the next moment is an opportunity for me to not look like an idiot. <laughs> Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben
1: Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone, from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between, to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. John Johnson is a professional musician turned senior customer success manager at Splash. He also led customer success at Zinnier and is a founding member of the Breakout CS community. In this episode, John talks about his experience as a musician and the lessons it taught him that have allowed him to excel in customer success. Everyone missed our conversation earlier, obviously, but you were telling me about this sweet musical man cave thing that looks like a better podcast setup than mine that you have going on right now. I didn't even ask, where are you? Because you mentioned the word garage, which for anyone in Toronto or New York means either you're a billionaire or you don't live in Toronto, New York or San Francisco.
0: Correct. I actually live in Ventura, California. So I'm about like 20 minutes south of Santa Barbara. Uh, So the absolute opposite of those cities that you said, it's going to be 74 degrees today. And I hate you. It's amazing because the, you know, it's cold in the morning. So I do have a blanket if that makes you feel better. I have a blanket, Um, but come around noon, the sun starts baking the the driveway and I open the garage up and I can see the the sun and the ocean and it's beautiful. I'm
1: not resentful at all. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if you said, "Actually, I am a billionaire, yeah. <laughs> and I do
0: live in Toronto." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a very different podcast." I'm in my 17 car garage.
1: Hey, I mean, I can only see you, so you could, I would believe you. Oh, that's awesome. I did the uh, the episode hasn't come out yet, but an episode with Dan Hayward, who's the uh, head of CS for LinkedIn for uh, the Americas, mm-hmm. and he didn't have a 17 car garage, but he had a beautiful. I can't remember what year he said it was. It was a beautiful, like cherry red Volkswagen convertible sports car, like in the background.
0: I Ben, you're going to love this.
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) It's a beautiful, it's a bright yellow 1978 Volkswagen convertible. Okay. I need to hook
1: you and Dan up then (laughs) and you guys can race or something.
0: It's been in my family for like 20 years. That is insane. And it's like my daily driver. So nice. I love that. That's so great.
1: That is a very funny coincidence because you're the only two people that I know with that car. Yeah. And he's also in California. I forget. I think he's closer to...
0: Well, if he's at LinkedIn, he's in Carpinteria, which is right up the street from us. So. Right. So
1: you guys can race. Okay. Yeah. I'll set up a It'll be a very race. slow we'll race. Yeah. But... <laughs> It'll be a race. It'll look great. <laughs> exactly. You'll both be stylish for it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, excited to have you on. And I wanted to... You also mentioned earlier... Uh, so the, for context where John and I had talked about different ideas we could bounce around and one of the things that came out in our conversation was that you were and presumably still are a musician and used to be a performer and we're going to talk about how that all ties into CS but curious like take me through your musical setup that you have going on right now because I know you've got I see at least one guitar in the background
0: (laughs) yeah I think as humans we just like to hoard things that we love some people hoard okay. coffee. Some people hoard bourbon. Some people hoard children. I have three of them, so I don't know if I'm necessarily hoarding them just yet. But I have a lot of guitars. My dad.
1: Well, oh, no, once they're eighteen, like yes. if you're if it's time for them to go, and you're like, nope, I'm gonna keep. We're gonna home. keep them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But my dad had this theory, and he had tons of. He was just the guy who always bought those kitschy T-shirts. You know that it's like, you know, old guys, old dads rule, and all that kind of stuff. But it said, "Love one woman." and many guitars okay. and I'm very much following in his footsteps. I think I have about 10 or 15 of them behind me. Oh wow. This, the one that you see is actually one of my newest. It's I got a new Gibson acoustic that I'm pretty excited for. I'm a songwriter by, I would say like I was born a songwriter. My father and my mother are musicians. My dad was a, he was in a motorcycle gang in Seattle and my mom was a hippie okay. like who grew mushrooms and smoked a lot of marijuana.
1: I feel like I'd get along with both of them really well.
0: It was a great childhood. Like it was very much like the Brady Bunch, but I guess with drugs. Can you say that? I don't know.
1: (laughs) sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. Would have been a better TV show. uh... (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, my mom led me into this kind of, I guess, journey, if you want to apply that word to it, where I was. I loved music. Like I loved music. I wound up moving to East Texas and joining this like Christian worship band and, like, learning how to, you know, write these worship songs, which, you know, it's, I was raised very religiously. That's a whole nother topic that is for another podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to rationalize uh, the, the shrooms, the hippie, the motorcycle gang, and then...
0: Well, in the 70s, the Jesus freak movement was very much wrapped around the hippie movement coming out of this free expression and into, like, born-again... All that kind of stuff, right? So yeah. my life is a melting pot of my parents' poor decisions and okay. and the way that they phrase it and leading into, well, how can we teach our kids to make their own decisions so that they don't just follow this group think right. that a lot of religious folks kind of walk out of. And again, that's a whole nother podcast. But really what it came down to was I learned how to play guitar and just to take a hard left turn from the religious side that girls like guys who play guitar. Right. Of course. And I just spent time on the road and I wound up meeting bands and I wound up playing with incredible musicians and it opened up doors where I found myself like sitting in rooms with tons of Grammys on the wall and these incredible musicians and culminating with like having Mm -hmm. friends in this industry that are writing with Katy Perry and sitting in the room with Adele and Taylor Swift and all these people that are just incredible at their trade.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Katy Perry is debatable, but you know, I'll give you, I'll give you the other one.
0: I'll tell you what though, my kids love her music and I pay her a 0.08 cents, probably 10 times a day <laughs> on Spotify when my kids turn on fireworks. Like I'm sure she appreciates it. Yeah. You know, she lives up in Santa Barbara too. So I can, you know, just drop the check off.
1: We'll invite her to the Volkswagen Volkswagen race.
0: Yeah. So I just started my job. I work for a company called Splash uh, based in New York City. We do like event management platform software, help folks transition to digital and hybrid and in-person stuff. And there's tons of great stuff in the background. I'm sure my marketing person is going to cringe with that elevator pitch.
1: (laughs) No, it's fantastic. We use it at Catalyst. We just uh, had a a landing page actually go live today on Splash. So it's fantastic software.
0: Well, I'm going to fight to be your CSM for that one. Oh, excellent. But the idea is CS. It, we are in an upscale event. Like this industry, went, when I started, when my first CS job, gosh, we'll talk numbers, but I think I was making 35 or 40 grand a year in Southern California. And it was like, that was a good salary for that job. Like it's like, it used to be customer support plus. Like it was like, right. you know a little bit more than support and this is a pat career path for you. But now I'm sitting in rooms with CEOs. I'm flying mm-hmm. out to executive offsites and I'm, I'm providing data and value for the CRO to make decisions on their upcoming goals for the quarter. Like that is impressive. Mm -hmm. And there is such an importance to that. But two and a half months ago when I was interviewing, I was astonished at the offers that were on the table. And like, we're seeing this so closely tied to revenue a sales mm-hmm. guy will close a deal for $100,000 and everybody's so stoked on it. And then the CSM quietly doubles that over 18 months, yeah. right? And then it's there's fanfare, but it's like ev- all of the focus is on the frontline guy. And thank God we have them, honestly. Like yeah. I'm not a cold caller. Good God, I will never be a cold caller. I'm a relationship seller. That's what I want to yeah. do. And the synergy between those two is of vital importance and we're seeing it. I've got friends that, that run like offsites for executives and CEOs. And every single one of them is trying to figure out how do I retain, how do I grow? How do I increase the value of every customer that I have in the door? Because this idea of acquisition as a path to IPO or acquisition or anything is is so one-dimensional. It's Mm -hmm. so one-sided that you're missing out on true value-led growth, which is where, you know, you see, folks on the stock exchange increasing 100-fold over the course of a 10-year period. That's because yes. they increase value for their current customer base. But folks don't think about that on day one. Like, they really no, don't. That that conversation doesn't happen until they've raised an A or a B round. They're just focused on that, like, frontline growth. Definitely.
1: Which is, like, fair enough. Like, you get—and it's depending on where the founder comes from and, and the kind of product and all that. But, I, I mean, everything is— Everything needs its day. Everything needs to be valued. But I do remember at an event I was at a year ago, one of our investors from Excel was talking about how he's hoping to see more customer success founders, like more founders with CS backgrounds who have that mentality. And one of the main reasons being they looked at, I mean, some of the biggest valuations now come from companies who have these net dollar retention rates of 130, 140, 150%, which is amazing to be able to achieve that. And you just like, that means if you sold no new customers in a year, you're still growing by 50%. Yeah. Like that's insane and shocking that no one really broke that code until now, but that's why we're seeing this amazing investment in customer success across the board, why CSMs are getting paid a lot more, why there's CCOs CCOs and, and VPs of CS transitioning to CROs or CEOs, because now that's the goal to chase after is retaining and growing from your existing customer base and building this machine where it's consistently driving an increasing amount of value to the point where, you know, it's not about this super expensive one-time event. It's a perpetual long-term thing.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, that's spot on. Absolutely. What I love about that is from my perspective, and I know that I, I've never worked in like a direct sales role. There's, you guys are great with sharing memes about, you know, the sales guy selling something and then like crossing their fingers at this. So they're going to be able to solve the problem when they close. Yeah. Like that's the typical joke, right? That mm-hmm. everybody makes the handoff is just always a mess because they just need to close business. But yeah. like, if we just closed business, if we just had Twitter on the call and we're like, okay, well, we're going to expand you to a hundred more users without a reason. Mm-hmm. We would lose that. Those 130, 140% retention rates would disappear. It is a requirement that we are solving a problem and not just closing business. And it's so interesting to say, like, how do you, that's why I'm not a CEO, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> among other reasons, like how do you empower your team and find the right people that will care through sales? Because we can't just close business to close business. We have to deal with them after we close business. We have to then train them on the product and the new expansion. We have to onboard them and get them through support and all these other great things that we have to do. And if it's a mismatch, like they come to us, the sales guys onto the next one, (laughs) turn and burn. And we deal with it. Like there is so much, ah, it's almost like walking on eggshells at time when you're talking about expansion, which is why what I love about Splash is like we are driven to expand. And luckily right now in this time where we're starting to open up a little bit. Maybe there's hope of vaccines. I don't know what the heck Texas is doing, but uh, we're we're moving into a place where events and in, in this space is going to expand and it's gonna naturally explode. Uh, so we're having a lot of conversations around growth and expansion right now. And it's, it's like they're hungry for it. Our customers like want to grow because it means bottom line dollar value. And that starts from day one. Like I said, I've been there for two months, so this is not me, but the company has done such a good job of providing value and focusing on value. And our CEO, Like I have never been a part of an organization that cares so much about their CSMs. And it's not just money. Money's great. Money's fine. If you, once you have enough, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm not saying I'm there yet, (laughs) but you know, the idea that the people are what are important and the process that supports the people is what is important, not the other way around. If you just layer process and then throw people in to fit this process, you're going to have a hard time. And we are absolutely people-led in everything that we do, And it's what I like when people say, what is a true customer success driven organization? I always say you need to go talk to Ben, our CEO, because from the top down, the most important and most valuable resources that that he has at his company, the company that I work for are the people that he has hired.
1: Yeah. And it's such a difference when that's the the top down opinion. Yeah, Absolutely. That's amazing. And I mean, definitely, hopefully people realize more and more that that's one of the key things that you need to be successful. And it's hard, I mean, especially as you scale. I hope that we can maintain that sort of culture too at Catalyst. But I also talked to friends at some of these really massive tech companies and even some just larger scale-ups and it gets hard and it continuously changes and evolves as the company grows. So um, hopefully that's something that that remains consistent.
0: Well, if you think about, like, tying it back into the music thing, this this whole last year was about pivoting. Like, how do you pivot? And if you're so locked into a process, like, if your focus is we have to do these 10 things <laughs> and then the bottom drops out, like, how do you pivot? Like, how do you pivot? You, I have no idea. Musicians in this time went from they weren't like, well, I have to be on a stage to be successful. That's not the process. The process was always, I need to engage with my customers. I need to engage with my fans. And you saw, I mean, when this whole pandemic thing went, you went on Instagram live and every single artist was doing a live Instagram. And it's like, they're not making money off of that, but they're still engaging in their customers. And if you keep the focus, your people and your customers, and then the process is the nebulous, kind of, you know, pivotable thing where it's like, okay, like for our events industry, like we released a whole suite of products over the last year that focused on digital with a hybrid offshoot because we weren't like, well, it's only going to be, it's only going to be digital, hundred percent digital right. all the time. There's going to be that we, all the data suggests that even when we go back, that hybrid is the new path forward, that mm-hmm. there's some content that people want to digest on their own in their home. And there's some content that they want to go for. And I yep. think we're going to see this change in the same way that we're seeing it in the music industry right now where unfortunately a lot of music venues are closing down mm-hmm. and a lot of musicians are having to go get second jobs and figure out how to make but they're also creating new business, new opportunities, new mm-hmm. new revenue paths. I mean, Patreon before this was a great service, but now it's essential. Right? Like these tools are exploding to help democratize how we get our message across. And I always say, even in business, like we're all just either looking for our stage or our audience. Those are the two things that we're looking for. And as CSMs, we have a stage and we have an audience, you know? And how do we maintain that? And it's like when I'm up on stage and there's, you know, we went on this tour with this band from Australia called the Paper Kites and we were the opener, (laughs) they were the headliner, and there's all sold out and there's hundreds of people in these shows and it was great. But we're not the main act, right? Like our goal is not to be the headliner and to be awesome and to get everybody to buy our merch. Our goal is to support the headliner, right? Right. And so we had to pay attention to the room. The first night we did this really lively set and it was awesome and it was all over the place. And it's like, you know, people were at the bar drinking and not, you know, we're the opener. It's not that important, right? So it's like, oh man, like we had to like think about how do we engage The people that are here, like that are in the room, we're not going to play to the whole room because the whole room isn't there for us, but there's like 20 or 30 folks in the front that came to see us and -hmm. we're going to focus on them. And then the next night it's going to be maybe 30 or 40, and then it's going to kind of expand from there. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, that's expansion, man. Yeah. Like when you're talking to your customer and you're saying like, I got this one contact at this one customer, you don't go shoot for the CEO. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't care yet. Yeah. Like he doesn't care yet. He will build your way there, build the foundation. Yeah. If you lay the foundation for your one contact and you make them successful and you make them meet their goals. And if you make them a rock star, they're going to go to their next person and they're going to say, oh, you need this tool and do the same thing there and expand and expand, and expand over the course of that term. You're going to be in with the CEO and you won't have to build trust. He will have had 10 people in his organization. that are like, oh my gosh. John helped me meet these. I've increased my take home. I've got bonuses. I've got bigger teams because of this growth. Like this is the guy and you walk into a room and you're the rock star. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're the headliner at that point, you know, and it's like, how can we apply these same practices to large scale organizations?
1: Definitely. I wanted to ask you because you're doing a lot of, obviously it's a very busy time for Splash. You also mentioned you have three kids currently getting homeschooled. It's a lot lot on your plate. How are you, uh, are you still keeping up with Playing music, recording, writing. Yeah. What kind of stuff are you doing on that side?
0: Yeah, man. I actually am working on finishing a record right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so all solo, like all the stuff you wrote, yeah, recorded, yep, all that kind of it's stuff. Yeah. All me. So, time wise, though, there's a pregnant pause there because, like, we live in a new world. Like, today is a new world than it was a year ago. It's, it is vastly different. And we always say this at, at Splash whenever there's a new person that joins the company, like, we're a new company. Like mm-hmm. we are a completely new company because this soul, this person, this idea now exists in our realm and gets to apply their knowledge and their experience to everything that we're doing. It's going to change us fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And I think the same applies to our surroundings. So in, in the past, you go to work at nine o'clock or eight o'clock and you get off at five and you go home and then you have your hobbies and and then you eat dinner and you go to bed, and you watch Netflix and it came into DVD back then. Yep. But uh, now we live in a world where like honest to God, time is nebulous. I have no idea what day it is. I It's still March somehow, a year later, it's still March. We live in a world where we have to micromanage our time. Mm-hmm. I have eight hours that I commit to splash every single day. And there are like, that's the block, but it's not nine to five. Like sometimes my morning starts at six because, you know, most of my team is in New York and sometimes it, it goes until late because I have to work on, you know, support in Madrid or wherever they're at. But there's this thing where, you know, if I've got a two hour block in my day and all my documentation is done and, and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a meeting, I'm going to go take two hours with my kids in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to the park. Right. And we're going to get that thing that we never had before. Like we were so segmented. It was, you know, in my family, you know, we were very, we kind of follow the the heteronormative approach where I, I'm the breadwinner my wife stays home with the kids. We made that decision collectively together and support each other in that. That's not the way it's always going to be, but it's very much the way that it is now. Today... I get up and I get to make breakfast and with the kids and I get to have pancakes and I get to, you know, and I get to go, you know, my wife has a doctor's appointment later today. So she's going to leave the kids with me. And I blocked an hour out in the afternoon where are right. we going to go to the park. And like, that's the same thing. That's what I want everyone to experience. Like this life isn't segmented as hardcore.
1: So do you prefer the nebulous world?
0: Yes. Yeah. I have ADHD, man. I am freaking <laughs> out half the time. Like my anxiety like, oh my gosh, I have to be sitting at my desk from eight to five, like, and and my boss is going to slack. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't have to. Like, I'd show up. I make sure I'm early for every meeting. I make sure all the, like, I do my job well. Yeah. You get your stuff done. Yeah. But the same thing with music. It's like, what I love about this is, you know, inspiration comes at any moment. And if you're an artist and if you create, it doesn't matter what you create, if you create And you are living in a world where you are in an office from eight to five. I used to record a little voice memo on my phone and then hope that I had the inspiration when I got home. Right right now, I have my keyboard right next to my laptop. I have my microphone right at my desk. And if something pops into my head and I've got 20 minutes, I just open it up on my computer and I can just track it and find a groove and then leave it and then come back to it later and capture that moment. And that is powerful. That's fantastic. You asked it, it kind of when we were talking about this stuff, you're like how, you know, if somebody that maybe doesn't have these skills because of this background, like how do they apply this creativity thing into their into their world because I know not everybody is a musician. I know not everybody mm-hmm. has a lot of people did go to Harvard and have business degrees and that doesn't mean it's not creative, but they didn't grow up standing in front of thousands of people opening yeah. their heart out and singing, right? That's a very different skill set. Definitely. We had talked about like how do you kind of how do you find those skills and how do you find those moments when you don't necessarily have that background? And one of the things I've actually been talking to a lot of folks, I'm working on a little project for just like, how do we get this like upscaling event to kind of carry weight in CS and how a lot of people outside of CS are moving into CS, right? Uh, Deanna on your team runs a great program for like people transitioning from not cs2cs CS. definitely one of the things that i always say so it's like how do you get comfortable talking to people like you cannot be shy in this job you don't have to be an extrovert like you can be an introvert but you have to be comfortable giving a qbr in front of 20 people that you've never met before and i yeah. always say like if you want to be good at this job and if you want to hone these skills like go sign up for an improv group you don't have to be the star but just sit in the room
1: i didn't even know people are doing improv over zoom yeah I didn't even know that was a thing. My brother told me that him and his friends will they'll like drink and do improv games over Zoom like a couple of times a month or something like that. It's incredible. Honestly. Didn't even know people were doing that.
0: Well, and and a lot of it is like, you have the skills to talk to people. You just mm-hmm. don't have the comfort talking in front of large groups. My teachers always told me to do public speaking, which is great. Yeah. But that doesn't get you to think on your feet. That gives you a lot of preparation. Depending
1: on how much you're prepared for it. <laughs> if you're public speaking off the cuff a little bit. Yeah, true. Then... You know, which I always found better. Like I every time I host an event, I never I'd have some slides, but it just comes across more genuine when you sort of wing it. Yep. And obviously you want to have a rough structure there, but it's good to kind of be able to do a bit of everything. Obviously I never I was gonna say wung. I never winged <laughs> uh <laughs> QBRs. You know, those yeah. had to be very much straightforward. But I think it comes back to the experience of just being Comfortable, possibly looking ridiculous or stupid in front of other people. Once you kind of are decide you're okay with that, and that that's always going to be a possibility, (laughs) it frees you up to sort of be more comfortable doing on that. To live in the now, exactly, and take on those kind of things. But I think a lot of people have that. If you don't grow up doing it, then you sort of have that fear of like not wanting to. No one, no one enjoys looking stupid in front of other people, but you know. You never knew for certain if you got up to play guitar and sing in front of hundreds or thousands of people that they weren't gonna be like, meh, or like not clap or leave or like- Oh,
0: there's been plenty of those days too, Ben. (laughs) Let me tell you what.
1: But hey, you got (laughs) through them and you're better for it.
0: Well, and I think you learn that, you know, I don't know how to say this, like without just saying, like this moment that you're in right now is not the most important moment of your life. Mm -hmm. This moment is as fleeting as every other moment. Mm -hmm. Our brains, are piles of mush with electricity flowing through them that place emphasis on stupid things.
1: I love the biology description.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just meat suits walking around with electricity. Mm-hmm. But really, we as humans are coded in a way to put emphasis on things because of our past. Mm-hmm. And if we can overwrite that coding to say, if I look like an idiot right now, I know that the next moment is an opportunity for me to not look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Or, but if we look like an idiot and we're like, oh, I'm, an, I'm so sorry, this is so dumb. Everybody's gonna be like, all right, just get off stage, man, next, like next.
1: Then you're making every moment. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: But then also, I'm such a big fan of like our brains because <laughs> <laughs> they're so stupid and so smart. And like, if we don't take control, and like I said, I've dealt with, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but there's just so much content here, Ben. <laughs> I've dealt with so much with my like, I I mean I've honest to god like I was clinically depressed I had ADHD I have anxiety like all of these things that a lot of people in our generation have Yeah like you talked about humanizing moments like if every person on the other side of that call every person in that room deals with the same things at a different level Yeah they all understand you feeling anxious on stage, or you saying the wrong thing, because at night, all thousand of those people are laying in their bed saying, God, 15 years ago, I said that one thing to that girl that I really liked, and I'm such an idiot. And that one girl is like, who, who are you? Like, it doesn't matter. We make it important because of who we are. Mm -hmm. And if we deconstruct that, and like I said, that's not something easily done, but if we deconstruct that and make those moments, just a moment, Mm-hmm. And it allows us to walk into the next moment in a QBR or in a meeting, or do we just said the wrong thing about our product and we have to reset expectations. We do that every day in our job as CSMs. We're always resetting. Like, why can't we apply yeah. that to our own lives? Why can't we apply that to the the stupid story that we told at the coffee shop that nobody laughed at, right? Like just reset, like every day is a new day. And if we sit and focus on the things that we did wrong, we're not gonna be successful in our business and we're not gonna be successful in our lives.
1: And I find that doing tying back sort of as we arrive towards the end is that <laughs> tying it back into the creative stuff is that's one of the best ways I think to do that because it's about breaking that pattern right where I mean obviously like you said you've you've had you've struggled with the, this sort of thing right And a big thing with anxiety is that you get a pattern in your head or a narrative or something that is sort of on repeat, right where you can't get you're sort of fixated on on something and you need to break the pattern, uh, especially if you're having an, an anxiety attack or something like that they'll say, you know, look for three things in the room that are round and four things that are blue and, yep. you know, you kind of get out of that. But it's the same thing, right? Using, breaking that pattern where if you've had a bad day or you're really stressed about a meeting or something, being able to go to something like guitar, piano, singing,
0: dancing, Zumba, whatever you're doing at home. <laughs> I do personally do Zumba every yes. night, just so you While know. While playing the guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Great core workout. Yeah, definitely. Or just
1: like, you know, playing with your pet, doing something like that. I think it's just really important to recognize we all have those moments right and then figuring out what you can do to break that pattern so that you can reset when we could we could keep going for a long time but i know we've both got (laughs) probably some meetings coming up so uh, john thank you so much for joining me this was a blast
0: yeah you know i love this honest to god like i'm so grateful for you guys and everything that you're doing so you know thrilled to be here happy to do a part two three, four, five. Excellent.
1: Yeah, we'll just keep going. This is now our full-time job.
0: Yeah, I wish. That'd be great, right? it <laughs> be a lot
1: of fun. Hey, I'm thrilled that I get to do this uh, every week. So awesome. John, we'll talk soon. Yep, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn and this was NPS I Love You. PS, yes, I love you.